Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third episode of Beyond the Echo Chamber. I'm your host, Theo Boltman, and welcome to the podcast. So today's episode's a bit different from the rest. Today, we're not actually interviewing a conservative person. We are interviewing Gloria and Steve. They're both 25-year-olds at Monash. Um, They both used to live in Hong Kong, and they have organized the Hong Kong protests here in Australia. We're so lucky to have them. They spoke really well. Sorry about the air conditioning in the background. You can't turn it off in Monash, unfortunately. But thanks so much, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Um, so we're just going to like talk through a few questions today so our listeners and me, myself, can get more educated about what's going on in Hong Kong right now. So just to start, can you tell us a little about yourselves? Yeah, my name is Steve. I am the president of the Victoria Hong Kong Tertiary Student Association. So it's basically an organization located in Victoria to support the development of Hong Kong democracy by various events and by various activities we hold. like. Because the Hong Kong situation is quite distressing, so what we have been trying to do is to like, provide counselling groups to the people who are who need mental support, and at the same time we try to organise protests to support Hong Kong movements. Yeah, and I'm Gloria, and I'm the immediate contact person for our organisation, so then I mainly answer journalists' questions and write press release for um, our group, for our events that we hosted, and then I... I love to talk to people whenever events that we host, like to people that have no idea what is all these about, and I'll be talking to everyone. Hmm. Um, what did you both do in Hong Kong? Were you ever there? Um, no, I wasn't. Like for when this movement started, I wasn't back there. I was in Spain for a program, but then I was monitoring I and mean, I was following all the news, keeping myself updated. But then my family was there, Like my older brother, he went to the protest as like the pretty front line I would say because one day he told me he dodged a rubber bullet with a, with his backpack for a little girl that couldn't make it out over there so that was the only thing that I know but then most of my friends were there as well yeah and I wasn't I wasn't in Hong Kong as well because like as I said before our organization is based in Melbourne basically so of course like a few of members did went back to Hong Kong um, uh, actually, one of them, uh, I'm not sure if the listeners heard about the Polytechnic University of Hong Kong. And it is actually a, size, a protest site that is now sieged by police, so people in there can't get rid of it, I mean, can't, can't get out of that place. And one of our committee members is still there. So some of the members did go back and try to uh, participate in the protest on site, but most of us are still in Australia and try to do various things here. Because sometimes we think that. Um, to make the Hong Kong protests successful, we need to put some international pressure on it to make people in all over the world to be more aware of the uh, effects of China. Hmm. Um, what brought you both to Australia? Uh, for me, uh, I was studying sociology back in, in Hong Kong. I was studying at the Chinese University of Hong Kong uh, for that. And right after graduation, I realized I chose a wrong <laughs> major. So basically, I need to uh, do a master again. And then what I realized is that um, this, the, the, the tuition fee between Hong Kong and Australia is not huge. 
So why don't I just try to study somewhere else? And uh, I went to uh, Sydney a few years ago, and I like the weather, I like everything there, and I think that may be a good idea to go to Australia. So that's why I came here. For me, I came here for studies mainly, because I couldn't do it back in Hong Kong. It was too competitive for me to get into higher education. So then I came here to study journalism and philosophy. But then we actually didn't plan to meet together like, as our group, how we formed. So then all of us who dress international students were here. They felt powerless and wanted to do something to help the situation back in Hong Kong. So that's how we started, like from a group of students that were just here to study mainly. And it turns out to be like this. Mm. Um. What have been your roles in the movement so far? Well, I think uh, for me, myself, is uh, I try to organize the I try to organize protests in Australia to give international pressure to the Hong Kong government. Uh, well, not just protests, but basically we try to do different things. We try to contact local politicians, try to um, contact with like local social movement groups as well. So that's how I try to participate in the movement because. As an individual, of course, I can try to go back to Hong Kong and try to stay at the front line and try to protest. But at the same time, there has to be someone who stay overseas and try to spread the information to the politicians, to people overseas. So I think that's uh, like uh, United States just passed a Meniski Act, to, uh, which is a Hong Kong Democracy and Human Rights Act, and that is a Meniski action, uh, Meniski Act that sanctions um, Hong Kong officials. So that's very important, and it put a lot more pressure on the Chinese and Hong Kong government. So that's how I'm trying to do here. Mm-hmm. Well, I think for myself, I'm not really sure what my role is. As in, like the whole movement in Hong Kong that started was leaderless. I mean, is leaderless. So then everyone is just taking up their own roles that they feel like they can contribute and help the situation in what ways. Like they will just find it themselves. But for me, I, th- I guess I'm just trying to spread, um, like to raise international awareness in Australia and try to connect it with what has been happening like locally here. Because what has the Chinese, the Communist Party, like C C C C P, yeah, um, what they have been doing in Hong Kong is not. They're not only targeting in Hong Kong. It's just Hong Kong is the tip of an iceberg. Like look at Australia. They've been doing. They've been. The political parties have been receiving money from the Communist Party. So then, there's lots of stuff hidden in Australia that needs to be found out. So I feel this movement is pretty, pretty good in some sense. They try to bring up stuff, and we are trying to raise that awareness, so that the people can be like, oh yes, now I see it. You know, we're just trying to help people to see the truth. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's definitely a wake-up call to the people all over the world. Like, uh, I do remember the, when the day that we organized the protest in the 31st of August in State Library of Victoria, we just tried to pro- uh, protest and try to raise people concern uh, about Hong Kong social movement and try to fight for human rights and freedom in Hong Kong. And a huge group of uh, Chinese students, I think they are persuaded or organized by the Chinese embassy over here and they try to crash down our protests. So that's how we feel that even if we are in overseas, actually we can still feel the pressure from the Chinese government. So I think that's a huge blow and huge wake-up call to all the people in all over the world, including Australia. How many people came to the October 31st rally? 
I uh, it's it's in August. Oh, sorry, uh, August thirty first. I think uh, for our side is roughly four hundred plus. Oh wow! For our side, but for the Chinese side, I think it's more than a thousand. So it was a huge, huge protest. But there, I mean, like protest and against protest, but. Yeah, so and it went violent as well. One of the ABC reporters, the cameraman, is beaten by the uh, pro-China protesters as well. So it was quite horrendous at that night. And what most interesting is that the the police refused to protect us, uh, to send us to a safe place. The police refused, <laughs> even though we asked, we backed them, but uh, they didn't do that. Yeah. Have you two always been activists? Would you say? Uh, I would say I have always been active in all kinds of social movement back in Hong Kong. I also even like Piper Right in Australia and Piper Right in Hong Kong. I also support that as well. And back in two thousand fourteen, I also support the Umbrella Movement back in Hong Kong. So it was a time that we tried to fight for us a, a referendum that all everybody can elect the prime minister. Prime Minister? No. Mm-hmm. What's the name? Chief, Chief Executive Hong Kong, which is which is quite equal to Prime Minister. And I was really active and I do remember that for the first day I tried to go into the protest site and I called my girlfriend that oh uh, I think I will be caught by the police. Uh, you can you can uh, pick me up at the at the police station the other day. So I was really active. But um, and after that, because it was a huge movement that lasts for a very long time, approximately three months. But after that, a lot of people become more indifferent to politics back in Hong Kong because even though we tried ninety days, we received nothing. We lose a lot, but we didn't receive anything. So we try to fight for it, but there's nothing that we gain, nothing at all. Yeah, but for me, I think I'm kind of an activist. Like back in Hong Kong, the umbrella movement that you just talked about, like Steve just mentioned, but like I was there as well, but only for like three days. So then, um, at the time, I was still a guest. So then, well, I wanted to check out how the situation is like. So then, I wanted to be there to experience it myself. And I didn't really have any clue. Maybe I kn- I knew what it was about, but I'm not really enthusiastic about it. But then afterwards, then I'm here, and then. I mean, I'm, I'm a journalism student, so I have to be very well aware of what has been happening around me. So then I'm, I learn more about Hong Kong in some way. Then as the movement started, then my friends and my family, like how they've been experiencing back in Hong Kong, it made me feel powerless. And I guess I'm more knowledgeable right now to understand how is that going to be like in the future. Like how is Hong Kong going to be? So then I want to do more for it. like we embrace a free world what value then we want to we want the best for Hong Kong really mm. um, Hong Kong and China exist under a policy known as one country two systems what does this mean so basically one country two systems means that Hong Kong and China are still like Hong Kong belongs to China but we do have different and separate system we don't have our own law system Hong Kong is still running common law like Australia did uh, like Australia does. So we have different separate uh, political. Uh, also, we have poli- uh, separate political systems, which means that uh, we can elect our council, uh, legislative council members. For half of them, we can elect them. So we're still in a half democratic system. 
but we can't elect our own chief executive, which is the equivalent of prime minister. So that under the circumstances that Hong Kong is not directly ruled by China, theoretically. So that was what uh, the Chinese government promised Hong Kong people before the handover from the British government to the Chinese government. But what we have noticed so far for these 20-something years that is that uh, the autonomy, the democracy and the legal system is challenged and changed by China a lot. Yeah, because of the um, this whole thing started with the extradition bill amendment that the Chinese government is trying to impose to Hong Kong, as you are aware of how it started. So then, why we're so against it is because they're eroding our judiciary system, which made Hong Kong special. Because Hong Kong is a you know, special administrative region, so that we have our own judiciary system to sentence prisoners or whatever. But then once they're trying to do this, that means they can put any any charges, no charges against this person, then they can bring them back to China without any proper law process. And they can just sentence them for whatever reason they want to. So this is frightening. We become another city of China instead of like a autonomous uh, administrative region. Mm. Yeah. Um. What do you think has been the biggest change in Hong Kong society since 1997 when the agreement was formed? Well, I think <laughs> that's a very good question. Uh, for me, I think um, since the handover, the rule is so much worse when compared to the British one. Although like back then we didn't enjoy a democratic system, but um, the politicians uh, in, in UK, they won a win-win situation in Hong Kong while the uh, British government can collect taxes in Hong Kong uh, in Hong Kong people can still live a good life but under the Chinese rules um, uh, the Chinese capitals try to invite in Hong Kong and they buy so many different companies and they basically try to control Hong Kong instead of making Hong Kong a better place for example there is a new reclamation plan in Lantau Island, which is a, a, a separate island in Hong Kong, they want to make a reclamation that it can use up the more than thousand billions, but it's just a, simply a waste of money. And uh, we all think that it's a way to send all the Hong Kong money to China because they need to buy sands and buy different ingredients and materials from China to make that reclamation plan. So under Chinese law, we lose a lot of money and at the same time we lose quite a lot of freedom as well. Back in British rule, there was no cases that someone was sent to UK without any justifiable reason. But under Chinese rule, there, are, there were so many cases like um, the owner of the bookstore was sent to China because he's selling some sort of the book that Chinese government don't like. So yeah, I would say everything become worse. Uh, yeah. mm, and I think for our sense of belonging, like our identity as well. So since 1997, some majority of the Hong Kongers, they still call themselves Chinese. Like we always have these dual identities that some people prefer embracing the Chinese identity or with our Hong Kong identity. Like I'm a Hong Konger, let's say. But then recently, um, after this movement started, or like a few years back, then the identity of Hong Kongers were more supported by younger generation, like overall generally, because that's what we feel like, that's Hong Kong, like what Hong Kong is, we belong to Hong Kong rather than Chinese, that we're so different, it's too different, I'm not going to say race, but just identities, it's just two different parts, like two different people, group of people, yeah.
Um, how have the demonstrations unfolded since they began in June? It was a very peaceful marching because you know Hong Kong has the freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, so we're allowed to apply for this um, notice to the police. Then they will say, okay, we don't oppose or we don't endorse this um, demonstration, but you feel free to walk. So we feel free to assemble. Yeah, and then afterwards, um, around more than two million. Yeah, I mean for the first time, it's one million. Mm-hmm. Then after that. Um, Everyone was very peaceful, just sitting down in some square as well. But then, when the police started to um, disperse the crowd and using tear gas and violence, like as the increasing violence, um, stand like level of brutality, then this whole movement just started to go another way. Yeah, it just start unfolded after the. Ch- uh, I think uh, try to. I just try to uh, mention the, the the timeline of the event. So in the 9th of June, there was a huge protest that one million people go on the street and say that oh, we can't accept this extradition bill. But on that night, the chief executive said that uh, she's going to uh, endorse the bill anyway, so the the bill will be enacted and passed because they kind of control the legislative council because of the way it is structured. And then on the 12th of June, that people in Hong Kong tried to occupy the area surrounding the uh, Legislative Council. So the Legislative Council members can't go into the Legislative Council to vote. So basically they can't pass the bill. But on that day, uh, people were brutally dispersed and a, lip- and a, a high school teacher was shot in eyes and he became permanently blind in one of his eyes. So, and all sorts of brutality started to unfold on that day. And then in 18th or 19th of June, uh, or 16th, I'm sorry, like, I'm sorry that I couldn't remember the days very well, but on that day, two million people tried to go out on the street and try to protest again, even though um, the chief executive said that she's going to uh, suspend the, the extradition bill for a short while. But people still go on streets and say that we couldn't accept this. You need to withdraw the bill instead of suspending the bill. And back then it was alright. And then we have weekly protests. It was still peaceful in its own way. However, after the 21st of July, where a lot of Hong Kongers, when they go back to their own home in a rural districts in Hong Kong, a lot of them get beaten by the triads there. And the police were there doing nothing, witnessing the, the normal citizen get beaten by the, by the triads. And after that, the, the brutality of both sides start to, to increase to a whole new level. Yeah, because police is supposed to, like, police force is supposed to pull, protect like, our citizen. But then when citizen called for emergency, then what they said was, um, if you're scared, you should just go home, then why are you out there? And they didn't pick up any hotlines as well ever since after, I mean, on that day, the July 21st. They didn't pick up any phone calls from anyone who asked for help. So I guess that was hopeless for the Hong Kong people. Um, what role have the police played in these demonstrations? Well, interesting question. Um, 
Because like they are the only force that the Hong Kong government can use to protect themselves. Because like in th- theoretically they can't control the army in Hong Kong because it's like Chinese Liberation Army. So and usually they don't go out because if they use this force, which means that the Hong Kong is no is no longer Hong Kong. Hong Kong is simply another city of China. So that uh, the Hong Kong government is trying to use the police force to control the crowd. Uh, to stop uh, it from being too violent. However, back then there was no violence at all. Ch- uh, the, the, the police is the only force that is using violence. So I think that it actually makes people more and more angry about the Hong Kong government because of the pol- uh, brutality that they're using, like shooting people in eyes. And in recent days that they, they, they shot people in the chest using real bullets and they raped a girl into pregnancy. So the brutality of police is, of course, play a really, really great role. And without their brutality, I don't think the movement can last as long like now. Because back in 2014, the Umbrella Movement, police were still friends with um, protesters or whoever that's in the demonstration itself. Like for me personally, I saw police like giving water bottles to people, like to protesters, and they were just chatting. I believe there are leniency in the like the level that they can force on like use on protesters or just Hong Kong citizens in general. But now in these days, they really lost the control. Like they, there's nothing. They're so different to back in 2014 how they were. So. Yeah, and and I just want to mention one more thing is that uh, back in the 2014. The umbrella movement for the first night, as I said before, I was protesting, and I pre- I'm prepared to be. Uh, I was prepared to get caught as well, and I was just like twenty centi- or fifty centimeters away from the police, and I saw one of the police cry in front of me, and because he feel that he feels that he's he was not doing the right thing, and then back then we still think that we are more or less we're equal. We're also Hong Kongers. They are just instructed to do something they don't want to. If they are required to use brutality, they will still control it into like the minimum amounts of brutality they, they can employ. So they just use minimum force back then. But now it's totally different stories. Yeah. Mm. Um, what would you say are the similarities and differences to the Umbrella Movement back in 2014? This is really our final end game, I would say, because it has been going on for months and all of the Hong Kongers know that we can't be like 2014 again because once we lose this war then we're really Hong Kong is really done done you know like back in 2014 it was just the beginning of how the Chinese is trying to erode Hong Kong in some way They're trying to grasp hold hold tight of Hong Kong it was just um elections of the chief executive like the highest person in Hong Kong then now it's way much more than that is what made Hong Kong Hong Kong like this um the rule of law they're not abiding it and our judicial power that I told you before the separation of power that made Hong Kong special and I feel like this is more serious than before like another level will be erosion um, what would you say are China's options moving forward? Well, <laughs> um, well, Chinese actually, like, like for the China, China government, I don't think they have much choices. Uh, they don't have uh, many choices that is left uh, on the table. Because uh, after the passing of the 
uh, Hong Kong Democracy and Human Rights Act. Actually, the because there is another act called Hong Kong United States Relationship Act or something like that. And under that act, because Hong Kong is different from China, right? As I said before, that actually Hong Kong enjoy a lot of benefit of a normal country that has good relationship with United States and all around the world. So basically, there is no taxes. There is no extra import ta- import taxes and export taxes. There、uh, we can import、uh, a lot of in. Intellectual property patent as well, but Chinese government can't do that. So that if Chinese, if China is is still trying to develop its econo- economy, that they are dependent on in Hong Kong. However, if the United States going is going to cancel that act, that、um, they can can no longer rely on Hong Kong to import any new tax, import any new、uh, products, basically. So that the, the eventually the the economy of China is going to suffer a lot、uh, if United States is going to do that. So I think、uh, in the positive side,、uh, the Chinese government may give a little bit and give the relative autonomy to Hong Kong, which means that give the、uh, referendum that we, which means that we can elect our own chief executive, we can elect our own legislative council members. That is possible. But、uh, the other possibility is that because now the president of, of of China is pretty insane, Xi Jinping. He's actually、uh, he reminds me of Mao Zedong, which is the the founder of the Chinese Communist Party. That、uh, he doesn't mind to kill a lot of people, and he doesn't mind to sacrifice everything for his own power for his own power. So the other way of doing is that、uh, okay, so he will still try to control Hong Kong at at his best. And he can march in the army and try to control the land that he owns. And then the Chinese government will receive sanctions. Hong Kong、uh, government will receive sanctions as well. And China will become、uh, a state like North Korea, basically more or less the same. Yeah, I think for me that's too foreseeable、uh, end game, but it could be months later. Well, I honestly just don't know how it's gonna end for me personally because I don't want to say Hong Kong will become independent, but then I don't really see other way out. I mean, I'm really happy for Hong Kong to stay the same way after 1997, but then not 2019. Like, not so much、um, involvement from the Chinese Communist Party, but I just hope China will back off, like from Hong Kong if. It really wants the best for economic interest or whatever that they want to have, like take away from Hong Kong. Just let it be. Like if this works best, then why don't we just want to leave it alone? You know what I mean? So for me, I think like that.、Mm. Um, as university students, how did you feel about the Hong Kong police using the Polytechnic University as essentially a jail? No,、oh, I would say that's ridiculous. A lot of people get injured inside, and then. They basically, but however, they still trap people inside, and they don't allow any people go inside. They don't allow people to go out as well. So basically, as you said before, it becomes nothing but a jail. I would say this absolutely unacceptable, and that's why I think that's one of the reason why the U.S. is trying to expedite the law, the passing of the the act. I think the international community is is infuriated about it because a lot of international students are still there as well,、uh, like United students from United States, from Japan, from all over the world. So I I I think it's totally unacceptable, and 
uh, university from other 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 uh, countries uh, should condemn such a behavior and I believe some German universities have already done that and I think uh, the universities of uh, in Australia should do that as well I think it's just heartbreaking I mean seeing same age peeps like Hong Kong people like facing these kind of scenarios then when I'm over here like, I can't really do anything like not even big text will do, you know, say stay safe, it doesn't mean anything, I mean, once I send that text, I mean, I'm not right there, so it's just powerless in some sense, and helpless, and watching all the live news at like, what, 2am, 3am, couldn't fall back to sleep just because that stresses me out so much, and you can't really imagine living, like, staying in that campus, looking at all the news, like, photos from journalists posting on Twitter or Instagram, like seeing how chaotic that situation became, it's just weird looking at that. Because a few years back, I was a high school student, almost graduating, that went to those university campuses to have a look as well, and walk around. Like it's completely different from the picture in my mind. So I just feel heart really broken when I saw it. Mm. How do you think the movement could build from here? I hope democracy, I hope the government will finally listen to what all the Hong Kongers are saying. I mean, like what, hap- what happened in Hong Kong is not only a Hong Kong thing. I feel like it's a universal thing. Look, look, look at Chile and look at Spain. Like they have similar like issues. Like in Chile, pro- like police were like hitting protesters. Like, pro- protesters were injured, like Hong Kongers, but then from the very beginning. And I feel like this... I don't know whether it's the world going crazy or is it just this generation. Like it hasn't been like this. Like few I mean some so many years back. But then it's just this is a international thing that everyone should look into. So then everyone should be aware of it, but not just the Hong Kong. I hope that the Hong Kong movement will be like a reminder for the rest of the world that how power will try to take more power by doing the and fulfill their selfishness needs, like their desires and people will be aware of it and want to contribute to help, you know. Yeah, uh, I think I, I pretty much agree what Gloria is saying, that uh, of course we, we really hope that Hong Kong can be a democratic state eventually, or independent if we can. Um, but I think one of the reasons, uh, one, one, one question that Gloria mentioned that is that um, Hong Kong these days is so different. I mean, the world now is so different from the, its past. Back then, when there is injustice, when there is uh, inequality, especially in Hong Kong and in Asia, uh, in Asia that uh, people just bend down and try to obey the norms and the rules of the society. But in our generation, I think it's really different. Because uh, one word that some academics sometimes use is post-materialism. I mean, back then we still need to fight for houses. We need still need to fight for cars. We need, to, especially in Hong Kong, owning both of them is really a lot. Exp- it's really really expensive. A lot more expensive than Australia. Then people struggles for it. But in our generation, some of them can do that. We we have the materials, but some sometimes even we don't. That uh, we still fight more. I mean, we still prefer to fight for values instead of our own self interest. 
the, when there is injustice, when it, there is inequality, when there is the uh, erosion of freedom and democracy, people in our generation start to stand up and say no to it. When more and more people do that, I believe, not just Hong Kong, I think the whole world would become a better place. Let the climate change uh, protests in Australia and all over, and all over the world. Our generations, and all, of course still your generation, the younger generations, are trying their own very best to protect something they really cherish, to fight for the values they really believe. Do you think the one country, two systems decla declaration will last till 2047 when the declaration ends? Honestly, I don't think so. I mean, look at what has the Chinese um, Communist Party has been doing. Like, they're obviously not following the rules. And they have been, like, acknowledging this. Um, they were saying this um, Sino-British Joint Declaration expired, like, before. Like, when there was this one media conference, I think someone said it. But then... It just doesn't make sense. Like, how can you sign this treaty and then not acknowledging its um, legitimacy? So then, by how they've been secretly kidnapping people from Hong Kong because they don't support the Communist Party, it just kind of shows their attitude or how the way they do things in the future. Like, just from now, this is just a tip of an iceberg. Like, very tiny little moves they've been doing, they're going to enlarge it in the future like let alone now it's only 2019 almost 2020 like how are we supposed to believe the government the chinese government will follow the rules until 2047 20 something more years to go yeah for me uh, the one country two system has already ended uh because of as you said uh, as we said before like some some hong kong people are detained to china without any justifiable reasons and the, like, a long time ago, like 10 or, or 15 years ago, uh, the highest court of China, Chinese Communist Party can already explain. They have the, way, they have the power to interpret the law in Hong Kong. So whenever they have any uh, trial that they don't agree with the results, they can revoke the results. They can explain and interpret the law again. So I think actually one country system has already ended quite a long time ago. Especially after this protest, I don't think it lasts at all. Um, do you think there is anything that could change to make the declaration last? Does it even matter to make it last? Like, that's, for, that's my question for, I mean, the um, Chinese government or the Hong Kong government. Does it really mean, like, is that declaration meaningful anymore? Is it useful? Are they actually following it? Or is, is it just a piece of paper that they want to read it out whenever things are happening? Because once they decided they're going to abuse their power to ignore that declaration, it really shows the ambition. Like, what are they planning? What were they thinking, you know? So then, I just hope they don't don't do anything bad for like humanities, like killing teenagers or faking suicide, fake suicides from protesters. Listen, because there are lots of dead cases in Hong Kong recently, like suicidal cases that just been claimed as suicidal, when we don't think it's actually right because for it's just so dark with all the politics stuff, you know, how the politicians can abuse their power to lie or to control more of the authorities, just like how the police were manipulated. So then it's just hard to say whether that declaration 
I mean, it still exists, but then whether they will make it reliable to to use it as a guideline, but I don't think they will. Yeah. Mm. Um, final question. What do you think will be the outcome of these protests in Hong Kong? The outcome? Well, <clears throat> we see progress, how the US passed the Human Rights and Democracy Act, which is good. But we've been fighting for like half a year to get until this point. So I just hope if we last longer, if we keep fighting, then maybe we could achieve what we thought is impossible. Like back in, I mean for myself, back in 2014, that democracy that I want, real democracy, like to elect the chief executive, the voice that represents Hong Kong. Like after the movement died down, I thought, yeah, probably it won't work, you know, like we're just doomed to be under Chinese Communist Party's influence forever. But then I never knew, like just lots of unexpected things happened in this protest. Like how um, Hong Kongers united together, because back in 2014, people would accuse each other, you shouldn't have done it that way, you ruined the movement, you know. Then now in this movement, like for this half a year, no Hong Kongers try to break apart. Like, okay, we'll stand still together, be water, you know, like. Hmm. So then, I think we'll achieve something, like we'll get there for, get what we really want, like real democracy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh I'm not sure if it could be the real democracy as I suggested before uh, that soon. Of course, uh, we, we all hope that it's going to happen. But if it's not really the case at the moment, I think Hong Kong is still learn a huge lessons from this protest. And if the government is trying to pass any uh, stupid act in, in the future, I think Hong Kong people will try to do something similar like this time. So even though a lot of us are receiving brutality from the police and a lot of us are suffering from uh, prosecutions, brutality, I still think that our future is not that doomed. We still have hopes. And maybe in a few years later, Hong Kong could be more democratic than now. And then when the Hong Kong government is democratic, that the, 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 the government that people elected would not treat the people in such a way. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast. That was eye-opening for me, myself, and like that was just incredible. Thank you so much. And um, for anyone in Australia that would want to get involved, what would you advise you can do? We would say just spread the word, like raise awareness. I talk to your local activists group or just post on social media yeah I would say share all the just talk to people yeah like because lots of people they don't really I mean they do see something on social media but then it's too tiring if you have to catch up like all the different like these pieces and that pieces it's really confusing so that if you understand what has been happening then try to talk to your friends explain how started everything like a flow like that I think that'd be ideal mm. For me, I think the solidarity is really important. Even though, like, uh, the Hong Kong community in Australia is not huge at all, um, 
uh, but there are still uh, some of us. Uh, I think like Hong Kong people like me sometimes try to stand with Australians as well to fight for the, the, the issue that we should fight for, like protecting the refugees and at the same time fighting for climate change as well. So I th- I do hope that I do back you if you think that the, the situation is Hong Kong is intolerable. Please like speak with your local MPs. And also, you can try to join our events as well. Uh, our Facebook page is at VHKTSA, VHKTSA. So uh, you can try to have a look of our event page. And sometimes we have protests, we have different events. Try to support uh, the democracy and uh, social movements in Hong Kong. Please feel free to drop by or come and support us. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks so much, guys, for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed it, rate it on podcast, Spotify, whatever you're listening to, SoundCloud, perhaps. Um, Yeah, uh, this was a really good episode. It was very emotional for me personally. I feel like they spoke so well. And if you have any questions about the podcast whatsoever, just email me at beyondtheechochamber at gmail.com.